here at uh, the Freak Bar in Coney Island at Sideshows by the Seashore for the uh, opening gala of a new Dick Ziggin play called Killing Republicans. And uh, later on I'll be speaking with Dick Ziggin. The show is set to start in about 15 minutes. And uh, I have to say, you know, uh, the Freak Bar has been undergoing a lot of renovations since Hurricane Sandy, and it looks really great in here tonight. Uh, I really love how they fixed the place up, and they put in air conditioning, and it's really a nice place to spend some time. I especially like the new banquettes. I'm going to take some pictures so everybody can see what I'm talking about. But. I'm having a great time here in Coney Island. USA. I'm having a great time too. We're waiting for the show to begin. K 
Killing Republicans, a rock opera. I have no idea what to expect. It just occurred to me. to say after 16 years of working on it, welcome to the world premiere of Killing Republicans, a rock opera. Uh, I have to take a moment and acknowledge uh, we have Lynn Nottage in the house, a Pulitzer Prize winner. And Lynn will... Um, ask you to stay after the show and leave an audience discussion about tonight's performance. I'm also honored to have multiple Obie Award winner Lee Brewer in the house, a hero of mine. Uh, tonight's performance is only possible because of a not-for-profit arts organization, 36 years old. I hope you're all familiar with it, Coney Island, USA. I'm sorry, who? Mermaid Parade, the sideshow, um, the Coney Island Museum. The website is coneyisland.com. Uh, you can sign up there to get weekly email spams. Um, <laughs> if you're worthy and you like the weird art we do, um, we're tax deductible. We're a 501c3 nonprofit, and we desperately need your support. That said, uh, before this flight takes off, if you would now fasten your seatbelts, I would like to draw your attention to the exits on your left and your right in the back of the theater. Um, the bathrooms and the bar are next door. There will be an intermission. At some point, we you will hear gunfire. It is not aimed at you. Um, and I know you all have one of these in your possession. If you would turn it off or at least put it on vibrate, we don't want you to record or photograph the show. We don't want you talking on your phone the next half hour. We want you enjoying a rock opera. If you feel you have to dance, of course, the mosh pit is up front. <laughs> Enjoy the show. Hang around for uh, more drinking, uh, gourmet hot dogs, the Museum of Interesting Things display. Uh, I need to thank Feltman's uh, Hot Dogs, uh, Coney Island Brewing, um, everybody who's worked on this show. Um, I hope you have a good time. Thank you. Well, how's it going so far? We're at intermission. Um, I think the audience is having a good time. I'm pretty confident, but it's nice to hear the audience applauding. Hopefully they'll all have a few drinks. Come back for Act 2. We're done with Act 1's character development and exposition. Act 2 is just a bunch of songs. Okay. And if they come back, uh, Act 2 like is just perfection. I'm just curious how you knew I flew on Tuesday, and when I got home I said to my wife, they put me in the smallest seat they possibly could. Those seats are too small, but uh, is the song that just ended Act 1 says... Uh, I guess the airlines don't really care. Poor people in coach. Yeah. So 16 years you've been working on this? Is um, that's where 16 years ago is when I first came up with the title, Killing Republicans, subtitled The Rock Opera. Mm. And that's been the excitement and the buzz and the selling point since mm -hmm. there was a title. Okay. And now here it is. Here it is. Here it is. Well, thanks for having me. What we'll do audience members think? The great Fredini, come over here. 
He's he's the guy who know who heard about it sixteen All right, years ago. What was ago. Chris's character's name in the misadventures of Alice Newton? Ralphie Rat. Ralphie Rat. I couldn't remember what it was. It's a long history of people around this. Microphone. I think yeah. you started talking about this play. I first became conscious of the, that there was going to be a play and called Killing Republicans during that production. And halfway that through, time. are you disappointed, or is it as good as a Goudian drama gets? It's actually really, I'm thoroughly enjoying myself. I kind of like lost it for a moment at one point, but uh, I got well. I got act, act, act two, no problem. Uh, character yeah. development, exposition is all done. It's just a bunch of songs about Republicans mm-hmm. getting shot at. You can't go wrong. I've can't been enjoying it so far. What what was the first thing you wrote, by the way? Was it Al, Al City Newman, or was it something else? Um, my first play ever yeah. that I will talk about was a play I wrote in college called Equal Rights about Alice Paul and the Women's Party and the Equal Rights Amendment. Oh, okay. Has that ever been staged here? Or? No, it hasn't. Uh my next play after that uh, was called Vermont Medicine Show. Although these that. days um, I want to change the title to Bernie Sanders' Sister. Um, it's about a do-gooder in Vermont. Uh, maybe the great Fredini on my left will direct it someday. Oh, my God. I can't even imagine that. It's sort of like <laughs> Little Abner in uh, post-Civil War Vermont. Uh, and when did you? I'm trying to remember when the Misadventures of Alice Newman was. Was it was that around ninety two, ninety? Well, that was actually commissioned by the Mark Taper Forum, one of the biggest regional theaters in the country, mm. and they commissioned that around nineteen eighty or so. Okay. Um, and didn't like that I drew pictures in the script, so they never did it. Uh, it was overly ambitious for a small company like Coney Island USA. It was um, outrageous for Coney Island USA. your relationship to Valerie Haller. Yes, yes, and the mark they perform and all of that. Uh, this is a smaller cast. Uh, and um, although I've written musicals before, um, never a rock opera before, uh, I think for the rest of my life, any play I write from here on in will be subtitled a rock opera. I don't know if I ever told you this, but I finally got to meet um, Curtis Armstrong, I think his name was, the brother of Kristen Armstrong, who was in that show. Oh, my gosh. And I got to tell him. And boy, him, I had a crush on her. Yeah, so did I. Whew. I had a wicked crush on her. But I ended up. When she away. played Miss Americana, was that her part? Yeah, okay. yeah. I used to drive. And her boy, back and did forth. she deserve that title? Yeah, I used to drive her back and forth in my Jeep wagon here. And um, so, where is she now? I don't know. You know, she's actually out in California. He said. She is doing some kind of hippy dippy thing. I'm not oh, really good. sure on what it is. So she joined the Manson family. She's not a heroine. No, but you know, he was, uh, he came by to my place of work. I got to interview him. And I started telling him about how I wrote this short story about his sister. And I, I think it kind of blew his mind. I ended up sending it to him and subsequently never heard from him again. <laughs> Cameo appearance. This is my niece, my Nigerian niece, who. Um, Her name is Goodness, for real. So Mm. the character in the play, Goodness Gracious, is actually named after her. Goodness. It's a great name. Something to the microphone. What do you think of the show so far? I think it's wonderful. Yeah. I think it's like, it makes people happy. Yeah. Is your mother in the show? Yes. What part is she playing? Goodness Gracious. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. She's the guy with the guitar, right? No. 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 Is it She's... weird that your mother's name in the play is your name? Yep. Yeah. It's I think it's great. It really, it's really weird. It's, it's really <laughs> Now, do you want to do the same thing? Do you want to sing and dance, you think, or uh, perform on stage? What do you think? I'm stage fright. I have stage fright. You have stage fright? Yeah. Okay. What do you want to do? Yeah. Uh, I want to be a dancer. A dancer? Three to one against Are you good now? Can you dance now? JFK. I don't mean like right now. You don't need to dance. I'm just saying. 
is what I think that song says. Um, that's her. That's his wife. So um, we're Where? talking to you and uh, Chris. Um, I know you're involved with radio. You're involved with Sirius Radio. You're involved with WFMU. You've been a DJ. You've been a music guy. This is not only theater, but hopefully it's rock and roll. Is mm. it rocking? Is it CBGB worthy? Yeah. I So far, I'm enjoying the songs. And so who did you write with anybody, or did you um, write them all yourself? So or? I wrote all the lyrics, but mm. Christian Amigo, who... Um, is composer in residence at Intar Theater in Manhattan. Uh, we brought in, and he wrote all the music, and I'm thrilled with it. Wow. So who, tell me about the cast for a moment. Who's the uh, rockabilly dude, Billy Bob? Um, that is uh, Nikos Briscoe, who is very involved in experimental theater in Chicago, and uh, he is one of three guest artists that we brought in to work on this show. Terry O'Reilly from Mabu Minds, the director, Christian Amigo from Intar, and Nikos from Chicago, the actor who's playing Billy Bob. He's doing a good job, I think. Yeah. And uh, Jody Foster is played by who? Is Juliet um, Schaefer, who uh, has uh, been a wonderful actress in some of her less shows. Um, at Coney Island, USA, that we put on. Uh, she does a lot of improv work and one-woman sort of comedic roles. Um, she has been involved with this project in terms of uh, the first reading. Um, the play was written for my wife of 10 years, Princess Pat, but uh, she had some medical issues, um, and it's funny how family works. Uh, my wife is a genuine Nigerian um, singer who I write the play for, but as her understudy, we brought in my niece by marriage, Jessica Williams, mm. who's taken over the role um, and job. doing a great job. Yeah, and so. she's never really involved in, uh, been in theater before. Yeah. And she's doing incredible. Wow. And also, we're learning something during this. Show. It's American it's, history. It's American All the history. facts are true. Yeah. Yes. Now, have you uh, had a chance to go see Hamilton, for instance? Or? Um, I've not seen Hamilton. I can't afford <laughs> Hamilton, but uh, I'd like to think that this is the rockabilly <laughs> Hamilton. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, let's talk again after the show. I think uh, that okay. we're about to get back to cool. it. So thanks, Dick Ziggin. <laughs> All right. speaking once again. Please feel free to go to the Freak Bar and fuel up once more. There are hot dogs next door and return here to the theater for Talk Back with Lynn Nottage. We'll be back in 15 minutes. What's up? How are you doing? Good. How you been? All right. Can't complain. Good. Uh, you've uh, changed your look yet again. Yet again. Yet, yet again. Like a chameleon. Yeah. For a moment, I was like, who, who is that? <laughs> who is that, yes. Uh, you remember my wife, Janet? Hey, how you doing, Janet? Good, how are you? Good, good. You, uh, were you at the FMU fair this weekend? Uh, no, we, I did not get there. We, we had other stuff going on. We were coming to this. So. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I'll be, I'm taking my son in the morning. Oh, we got to go that way. Thank you. 
thank you um, for coming back. Um, as we uh, introduced before, we are privileged to have Lynn Nottage here, and uh, we would like to have a dialogue with our audience. Great. Well, thank you, Dick and, and Terry. I thought that the piece was incredibly fun, um, seriously humorous, and a little bit weird. <laughs> and I enjoyed it and I found it supremely entertaining. Did everyone else? I mean, how did you guys feel? Yeah. I hope that it has a long and, and prosperous life in, in the theater. And I just have a, a few questions. Dick, I've been a huge fan of yours um, for a really long time, the sideshow, and then this little entertainment empire that you've built out here in Coney Island. And I, I know that you began as a playwright. You went to my alma mater, which was the Yale School of Drama. And new dramatists. And new dramatists. That's right, we have new dramatists. Um, and I know Terry, we actually go back. All the way back. All the way back to like at least the beginning of my career as a theater artist when I was a, a resident artist at the Map and Wine studio and sort of was looking up to, to you and to Lee Brewers here. So it's really kind of wonderful to be sharing a stage with you, so thank you for that. And Dick, I want to begin by asking you, it's like, how did you come back to writing? You said that this was 14 years in, in process. So, um, I have an MFA from Yale School of Drama, right out of Yale School of Drama. Um, I had a play picked up by Mark Tate Perform, and I did the regional theater thing for a while. I had an agent here, Helen Merrill. Oh, me too. Um, no kidding. <laughs> um, and I got heavily criticized for drawing pictures in my scripts, and even though the Mark Tate Perform it commissioned the play, um, I drew pictures in the script, and they banned it um, from the actors. And I said, fuck that shit, and came to Coney Island. Um, we did theater up on the boardwalk where the building had heat, and Terry was involved in two productions there. We lost that building in 95, and we moved here to Surf Avenue where the building um, did not have heat. And for a number of years, uh, due to that, we weren't gonna, we weren't stupid enough to do theater during prime time. Um, that's no way to make money. Um, for I gave up playwriting for a long time, but started fooling around um, in October with a program of interactive walk through um, houses of horror in October. We called the Creep Show with the Freak Show and. Got back into playwriting through that. Um, three years ago, we started making plans to uh, put heat back in this building and revive a theater program. Uh, we created a new experimental theater company called Funhouse Philosophers. Uh, we took a show two years ago to La Mama. Uh, but the focus in terms of a three-year plan and uh, New York City Department of Cultural Affairs multi-year grant uh, was to build a theater company that culminated in the show Killing Republicans. We brought in Terry O'Reilly uh, from Mabu Mines, Christian Amigo, our composer from Intar, and Nikos uh, Briscoe from Chicago to work on the show. And well, tonight you'll tell us what you thought of it. Well, I'm, I'm curious, um, Terry, just about the process of putting this together, because I thought that the, the music was, was quite wonderful and really interesting. It was like a mashup of many different um, periods and different genres. And I was, I, I was wondering, did you have input in shaping um, not only what we saw, but what we heard? Uh, yes, this is a, this is a co-creation for, for three artists, and... Uh, you know, I, I think it starts with the vision. So uh, the question you ask uh, is, it's an opera, so is it an opera? Does that mean every word is sung? Or is it a musical where there are songs and there are scenes? And uh, uh, my vision for this is that there's this blurred line between speaking and singing that I quite love when someone is speaking uh, 
uh, normal speech, and they suddenly are speaking poetically, and then they are singing. And I think that's a very delicious uh, way to approach performance in incorporating music. So it becomes all musical uh, in a very odd way because when you have a grand pause, there's no music, there's uh, uh, no meter, and someone simply speaks, it pops out to you, jumps out at you like a cougar, a tincture of language. And um, so uh, that was a, a thing that I really wanted to work with. And that's what, that's what we started with, one of the visions. And the other thing was that we wanted to get some kind of a feeling of rawness, uh, the incorrectness of rock and roll, like what we would hear at CBGB's, where people would say, one, two, fuck you! And that's when the song would start. You know, So there was something disruptive. And uh, it seems like the age needs a, a sense of disruption. And uh, Dick's script is really brilliant because it's set on a, uh, on, a, on a place where we never really get to look at. I mean, most of us don't live in first class, but some people never get out of it. Some people live in court, right? And, and, uh, but some people live in first class. So the question is, what is the theater like when you pull back the curtain? So we really went to vision. And I mean, some of those, some of this was practical questions like, well, what rhymes with Republican, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Bullet in, Republican. So there were so many things that came out, uh, and also it's something about finding sympathy for something that you keep at an arm's distance. And I think that there's a real, it's sort of like playing with fire in a way. Another question I had, it's like a really interesting ensemble up here, and I'm very curious how you came to put Jodie Foster, a Nollywood star, and a rockabilly oil man in the same universe and in first class. Well, I mean, this is a play about my marriage. Um, Princess Path Airways. Uh, my wife of 10 years, and a number of flights back and forth to Nigeria, um, and meeting her artistic family, conversations uh, with the Nigerian poet and playwright John Pepper Clark. Um, but I, although I've never flown in first class, I flew back and forth to Nigeria and West Africa a number of times, and it's a fantasy discussion. Um, and it's different between an African-American or an African um, discussion about American politics and trying to explain it. Um, issues come up in terms of um, working with the American government, getting a green card uh, for my wife, or um, studying for the U.S. citizenship test, and uh, discussing the politics. And it, you know, uh, for an alien to get a green card and then move on to um, U.S. citizenship. Uh, you have to study the U.S. presidents and what comes of that. It, it's interesting because there's an, another show which yeah. won't, won't be mentioned that engages. <laughs> <laughs> Why not mention okay. it? Put it <laughs> you deserve a plug. <laughs> um, which also engages history in a really interesting musical way and I'm wondering why you and both of you why you were sort of drawn to um, looking at the evolution of the Republican Party which began in some ways as the more liberal party and over time has evolved into what has become quite dangerous and really scary in this very moment this is Dick's Script, so. Yes. so it, it, it comes out of my frustration with um, beginning more than 16 years ago uh, with the impeachment of Bill Clinton, um, the 2000 election of Bush v. Gore, and uh, the more recent issues, um, and just among my friends and in myself uh, being a New Yorker, just uh, intense hatred of re current Republican politics and trying to understand that in light of how heroic I think the early Republicans were when, if you study American history, 
how bizarre things flipped um, circa 1968 um, during Nixon's Southern strategy. And suddenly, um, Dixiecrats become Republicans, and blacks who, for a hundred years, um, Republicans, yeah. were Republicans suddenly are voting Democratic. And, you know, the role of Lyndon Johnson in finishing the work of Abraham Lincoln. Well, that's, uh, that's definitely something that resonated, and, and it just made me... And Lyndon Johnson, come on, you know, <laughs> and his background, how did that happen? Yeah, really. Yeah, it, it made me sort of want to revisit some of history listening to this. And also, I, I, I want to ask a question about the title. I was talking to Morton. The audience were saying it's a really sort of dangerous and provocative title in this moment. Well, 16 years ago, it began with the okay. title, Killing okay. Republicans, a rock opera, and the buzz and reaction to that. Um, so the title came first. So the title came and first. And at the urge of um, the board of directors of Coney Island USA, there have been um, many discussions over the past year about alternative titles, and none of them no, really no. cover what the show's about. So, like... David Mamet's Sexual Perversity in Chicago, or the New York Times refusing to print the name of a play on Broadway, The Motherfucker in a Hat. Um, you know, titles are powerful. They are powerful, but I, I was thinking, like, how am I going to retweet this, and will I get on some sort of special watch list? <laughs> well, when, when we announced the, the show in social media the night of the New Hampshire... Uh, primary, which seemed the appropriate time to launch the media campaign, we were inundated with white supremacist threats against I'm the sure, show. I'm sure, I'm um, sure. Terry, I'll, I'll ask this last question, and we, I'm sure that you guys out in the audience have a lot of questions. I was really interested just in, in the, the, the visual and the physical vocabulary of the piece, and I'm wondering how you arrived at um, the use of the microphones and the use of a more presentational, um, performative style. Well, it's a uh, it's a fantasy. You know, we don't know what first class looks like. Some of us do. And, uh, you know, if, if you've been in first class, you might think, well, this is it. You know, you know this is first class. Well, so uh, the designers are over at KTL and. chairs, right? <laughs> and it's a band, so they've got to have mics, and uh, you know... Yeah, and Coney Island, USA can't afford cordless mics. So, <laughs> and this, this, is goes, this brings me right back to CBGB's, where I started from. Um, and there was a balance, uh, in, just in terms of symmetry, you've got three main characters, you've got, uh, you know, uh, Nigerian pop royalty, You've got American celebrity, and you've got an oil billionaire. So these are my three uh, high notes of my VIPs. And to balance them, I wanted to have, you know, sort of the charming, uh, sexy proletariat. Uh, also, which was a girl group. And uh, originally, when I was hearing the music, I thought, well, okay, I kept hearing girls groups. There's no flight attendance in the script whatsoever. That nice. is uh, Terry O'Reilly. It was, it, was a, it, was, it was right there. You could really hear them. Uh, and for a good girl group, you need three, but the balance was off. So for, for the, the symmetrical part of it, it's uh, you know, three very powerful uh, VIPs supported by two very charming proletariat, right? So these are the, those gals would ride in coach for the whole lives on their wages. Um, but I, I just want to... I, I guess I want to go back to the vision thing. The thing that was in center for me is I grew up, I was born in 1950 in Memphis, Tennessee. I grew up in segregation, hard segregation. And for me, Medgar Evers being shot, JFK being shot, Bobby Kennedy being shot, 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 shot. Who were being shot? All the good guys, right? And this was like, I didn't forget, you know? And none of us have forgotten really anything. It's a, politics is traumatic, and we are post-politics. We are in constant trauma. 
we wake up in the morning and it just flies at our face and we'd like for it to be good, we'd like for it to go away, but it doesn't. And so I thought, well, why not stick our fingers in, the, in that wound in a way and auger around with it and like try to find some joy in that in some odd way. That's an absurd proposition. That's a surrealistic proposition. It's, it's surrealism where, where uh, VIPs would sing all the way from New York to Paris. And they would know all these words, and everybody would be very coordinated. So, yes, of course, here we are in the theater. So, uh, you know, we kind of gave over to the idea that once the show kicks itself out the door, all bets are off. You know, we can shift between the different kinds of formalities, highbrow, lowbrow, absurdity, surrealism, realism, all of those things can uh, mix back and forth and swing uh, again and again into band mode. This is about the size of a CBGB stage. It really wasn't much bigger than this. And are, are there plans to remount the show after you can continue? There are big plans, and I wish I knew what they were. <laughs> 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 colleges. So this gets to one of the reasons why we wanted to have this discussion with you all. Um, as wonderful as Coney Island USA and as much as it, by owning the means of production, um, you have artistic license to do what we want to do. There are financial limitations and this institution, Coney Island USA, does not have the ability um, to do more than this showcase. So if you liked what you saw, we don't know what the hell to do. Um, I'm not even a member of the Dramatist Guild. My connections to the regional theaters uh, are 20 years in the past. Um, We've already got a couple of nibbles about places in Manhattan that might take the show, but in terms of whether this belongs at La Mama or the Public Theater or Theater for the New City and how to get the attention of people, um, we could use some advice. The New York Times is not going to come here to Coney Island and review the show. So the question is, if this show is worthy, what do we do next I with it? I would not give up on, on some of the media coming out to Coney Island to see the show. Laura Collins-Hughes. Laura Collins-Hughes. Don't go for the ad, Laura Collins-Hughes. Laura Collins-Hughes. But our history here suggests that um, this isn't North Brooklyn, this is right. South this Brooklyn. That yes. um, even a second stringer or third stringer at the Times is most likely not going to come to Coney Island and run a review. So at, at this moment, I, I would love to throw um, the mic out into the audience. I can't throw it. <laughs> but I would, would like to invite the audience to ask questions of the playwright and the director. And do we have the composer here? No. 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 Uh, Christian is in uh, Los Angeles right now. He and, and his wife, uh, Dana Whitco, have just adopted a child from a birth mother two weeks ago, oh. Daisy. And he's out there. He would be here. He's uh, tweeting and emailing all the time, wants to know how everything is going. Mm -hmm. And we, we're using Dropbox a lot. Uh, but he's got a little baby in his arms right now. I saw, was there a question back there? Hi, I'm Daniel Brown with some of the props, and I wanted to ask, well, all, first of all, I wanted to do what, uh, what Dick did to me long ago on stage over there, and offer uh, my space in Soho as a debut of you ever wanted. Uh, so that would be your first offer. Uh, that's Denny Daniels from the Museum of Interesting Things, who um, has a performance space in Soho. That's awesome. Thank you. Let me debut the 3D VHS festival here. Surprised me uh, uh, when I was on stage, so I'll do the same after <laughs> you. It surprised me. Um, and also, my question was, when you were doing the research on this, I noticed that a lot of the things that Dick does are, are 
fun and interesting and, and like you said, you know, freaky and weird, but also he always has it based in history and philosophy and politics and knowledge. It's very, very smart stuff too. He hides that in there that he's actually teaching us something. Very cool. <laughs> uh, what were some of the surprises that you found when researching for the presidents? What were the things that you were like, oh, that's interesting. What were some of the surprises? How much I admired a lot of uh, Republicans, and for a long time I had no idea what to do with Garfield. It's just <laughs> such a bizarre story, which led to that song when we Googled Garfield. <laughs> I have to say that was one of my favorite movies. <laughs> yeah. um, I just want to say, first of all, thanks. Uh, I hadn't really felt um, I hadn't really felt sorry for Republicans before, but now I kind of do. So thanks for that. And um, I, I, I no, you know, I notice obviously it starts with with Jody talking about Taxi Driver, and that's based around Arthur Bremer trying to assassinate George Wallace, and you know the whole idea of assassination. I know Wallace doesn't fit into the thing; he's not a Republican, but he did become an Independent at some point. So was there any thought of? <laughs> getting George Wallace in there in some way other than through taxi drivers? No, but, you know, if this is a hit show, that leaves room for sequels. Uh, Killing Democrats? The first of which would be called Dan Kennedy's. So like a, like a Bill O'Reilly thing, there might be more killing. Well, that's what's fascinating, you know, when all this white supremacist stuff hit and, like, just knee-jerk Republican reaction. Bill O'Reilly has bestseller books called Killing Lincoln, Killing Reagan, Killing Jesus. Why can't I do Killing Republicans? He speaks badly about Reagan. But I mean, he had books titled Killing, Killing Reagan, and it speaks badly about Ronald Reagan, and I'm like, you know, because he's Bill O'Reilly. No relation. Maybe through Noah, but that's about as far as many degrees of separation. Another oh, question over here. Yeah, I was just going to ask, uh, since you've had this mountain and uh, already, and over the next number of months, you're going to have millions of people coming to Coney Island. Why, why wouldn't you just stage it here? And with some because we can't afford to. The show will close in two weeks. Well, it's, you know, then it's very difficult to stage it anywhere um, because you're going to have the same problem. It's not like. Uh, you know, if you're rent a theater, it's not like that theater is taking you in and, and going to produce it. No, it's, to, to be honest, if we have a venue to move to in Manhattan, um, we would have to get a producer who would do the contracts between the creators and two different venues um, who would have to put up money for the director, the composer, and I to refine the show who would probably have to raise the money to hire a professional publicist who well, would be able to get the times to come and rewrite well, it. But I think what you're looking for is perhaps um, a, a, pro a producer who's going to invite you into the space and, and take care of all those expenses and you become part of their season and part of their programming. And so you can really just focus on developing the show without having to think about marketing and thinking about putting, putting um, you know, butts in the seats. You know, because that becomes, as an artist, that's one of the great struggles is that you have to divide so much of your time between trying to fill the space and try, trying to make the art, and it becomes very difficult. But uh, this idea of singing for your supper goes back to the you know, the dawn of entertainment. And uh, I, uh, I'm i all for it. You know, this is my, my bread and butter singing for my supper. And so if we could run this at a profit in, in this theater, in this form, we great. would do that. Yeah. And you know, I, I have to say that uh, I've directed three shows in Brazil, and the way that the, uh, with, 
uh, with a company called Fujitos Privilegiados, which they can't print the first name there. Fujitos is a bad word. Uh, so the company's name was, was, a, was a curse word. Uh, but what they did is they basically said, okay, here's the box office for the week, and they split it up. Um, and so we actually need to get volume. If we could have five shows and we have 50 seats and we could bring the people in, uh, so it is about leverage, it's about getting a press agent uh, to, to bring uh, people in. It's been difficult to get audiences at Coney Island. This is my third show here. Uh, and we do great work here, really astonishing work, but we might as well be doing it in Baltimore. It's very, very far away. <laughs> or, or Philadelphia. <laughs> or if you like Philadelphia better. Inglewood Cliffs. It's far away psychologically for people. Uh, it took 20 years for people to feel like, okay, I could go to Brooklyn Academy of Music. It's not going right. to kill me right. to go to right. BAM, right. Right? right? So there was that, there was wow. that uh, resistance, and it's a psychic. It's, you know, it's like there's a bridge, and there's a bridge too far, and then there's Cody Island. There's a So it's uh, you know it's becoming a destination. Uh, there's a much uh, the mix of, uh, of people who are coming to Coney Island is different. And you know it, 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 uh, you're looking to fill 50 seats from two million people that are coming here on weekends. Um, it, it, it just seems that it would be feasible to to draw an audience. I think what he's asking Dick, is there any chance you could make some of the characters conjoined twins? Could maybe, maybe that would. Put, I think that. I can answer some of that. So I understand you're saying Coney Island is becoming a destination, but still being too far for a lot of people from the city, it's a destination in the day. As soon as the sun goes down, people. While they still do come here more often than not now, it is becoming like a daytime destination. There's still that stigma that after eight o'clock, I want to be on the train, all thinking it's like a four-hour ride on the train, which it's not. But they still want to leave like at, at nighttime. So it's really hard to build an audience past eight p.m. Mm -hmm. Still, even though it is like becoming such a good destination, so that is still a big challenge for nighttime shows. So the question is, perhaps do the, the show at 5 p.m.? Yeah, right. Mm. Maybe. You know, do, sort of set it a little earlier and capitalize on that audience that's already here. But yeah. I, I do think that a lot of the folks who are out here haven't developed theater muscle, and when they come to Coney Island, yeah. it's not exactly um, the, yeah. the entertainment exactly. that they're looking for. Sure. Um, I, I could speak from experience, because I was in two of uh, Dick's shows. Uh, <laughs> Kid Twist and uh, Alice e. Newman, and and you know those took place during the winter. They were staged during the winter, and it was hard as hell to get people to come out and see them. It was, and they were great shows, you know. So the the idea of like getting people out here, and as Dick pointed out earlier, to mount something like this while you know you're in the high entertainment season is would be foolhardy because really what you're trying to do is is move people through here and and empty their pockets, if at all possible. In the Grand Coney Island tradition, I mean, if I'm saying anything wrong, just let me know, Dick. But my question is, why not a Kickstarter or an Indiegogo or something like that to raise some funds to put on the production yeah. you'd like to put on? Is that something you had considered or thought about? Or? Um, it's probably a very good idea. Um, we have been preoccupied with just getting the show mounted and getting to where it is tonight. And right. What happens from here depends on your reaction, what somebody might write, and what happens next. Yeah, the, uh, what you just saw tonight is like putting together a two CD um, record. The amount of work that we did, uh, just to make the music and to you know pull everything together, um, and it's really right. We've been uh, working pretty much around the clock to get it to this to this place right here, uh, and it's always a challenge. You know, you have something uh, great uh, in Manhattan, 
and um, you get a great review, but you have to close the show because the theater's too expensive, or it's you have to close after three weeks because there's you know somebody's coming in with the the guiding light, the musical, or you know whatever <laughs> next thing is coming along, you know, uh, and you have, you're 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 bumped out. So here we have the ability to incubate and to really work hard. This is a, I worked for about five week, week uh, five months with Dick and Christian to make this piece uh, just you know independent of the actors. Uh, so there was a lot of work that went into this, uh, and we were able to do this because the the wealth of Coney Island or the people that come here to be artists and the space that is available, you know. I've almost never had a theater where I've had it for a month before my first preview. So we were able to build, Alex was building this, these chairs every day. So we, we didn't have money, but we had the time. So there is a kind of an interesting balance of, for, for the artistic work. And we're really looking now to either prime the pump and stay here, so have a, an influx so we can sustain the, the piece and build it, the Republican uh, thing in whatever, wherever it is, Cincinnati or uh, Cleveland. <laughs> Cleveland. Um, uh, that's in July. So. Yeah, I mean, if I can put in my two cents, I feel like there's something really quite magical and special about taking the subway out to this space, which I think is a glorious space and very unique, and you feel the history here. And I think when you you take up this, pe this, this play and place it elsewhere, I feel like there's something, some ingredient that may be missing, and it would be lovely if you could find some way to make it living really space in which it is and find that support. Are there other questions that we have specifically about the work, or or not even questions? What or, you or, thought yeah, of so opinions yeah. um, of what you thought of the work, or what you think the play is about? I think the gentleman back there just uh, mentioned the right way to go. I think that uh, you got to look at now. You're never going to get the money. You're never going to get the people out here. You're never going to get the press rep you need. It's too big a machine, and it's hard to fight that. Uh, and uh, as far as moving into the city, uh, you've always got the problem that you've got, you know, you, don't, you have a small cast, but you have a cast. Uh, you know, are you going to be able to support them? Uh, Finances are going to kill you. Uh, my suggestion is, uh, you know, get a kind of a nice cut. It's a really good show. Uh, I would love to see an animated version of it. Uh, I'd like to see you do a comic book, uh, you know, an animated comic book in video, uh, using the songs and uh, record them correctly with the, everything that you need in a studio. Shoot it with some friends. You know, take a long time to edit it, take six, eight months to edit it. You don't need a fortune to do anything like that. Uh, this is um, stuff you do on your own computer. And you can come out with a videotape, parts of it can go to YouTube, parts of it can go here. You know, uh, that scene is over. You're not going to be able to beat the, the system, and the system's against you. So uh, I'd say go with the new system and see if you can get a version that you really, really like. Uh, I think it would work beautifully as a video animation music. And uh, that's my suggestion. And you could right. have a specific Kickstarter, Kickstarter to support that. that. Yeah. You know, that might be Plus, a goal. you're not paying people to stay with you. You've always got something to show. Ten years from now, you'll have something to show. It'll be there. You want to have to keep a cast alive and pay their you know, insurance policy for 10 years to keep them there. To do the show. So, you know, is there, is there more feedback, thoughts, 
impressions, moments that. I mean, my my uh, my preference, I thought, was when the songs were being performed live. I mean, I, I that may have been a logistical or a, a budget budgetary type of thing, but I really liked when there was live accompaniment and yes, you know, in the band, right? Absolutely live. Yeah, uh, and this is a, a so the ideal production would be a live band. Yeah, it's, there's, there's the big C. That it's would double the cost of the show. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there'd be a live band when you arrive at the theater. There would be. TSA agents making you take your shoes off and right. empty your right, right, uh, right. pockets right. to come into the building. Right. right. Yeah. And we would have, uh, you know, swag out the, you know. Yin yang. Uh, but um, uh, we addressed this right away. We, we knew that we couldn't have a band. We wanted a band. And so we said, well, okay, we'll, we'll create what you heard, uh, which are these files, which the uh, actors, the, the musicians, really, uh, sing against. That, at a certain point, we shifted over. At the halfway point, you'll notice that we went to live in the second act, mm -hmm. and so it's very uh, metered and uh, about exposition in the beginning of the play, and then it is uh, uh, the second part of the play is really about just raw feeling. It's there's more history that you are presented because after all, this flight is you know rocketing through time toward the present. Um, but uh, it, the second part is much more live. But that's what we wanted. We wanted to have a drum kit. You know, it's like I have a drum kit in the cockpit. It even rhymes. Mm. You know, so you know, it's, that's just, that's what we wanted. Uh, and so there is a there is a vision of the things that we don't have that drove the things that we did have. We didn't think poor. We didn't think oh poor us. We're without. What could we do? Like ninnies. We had the big picture of what we thought we could have if we had the ideal everything, and we like reached as far as we could as long as the shoestring is going to take us, and that's what happened here. I have never yeah. flown they're first they class. Are. They're, yeah. they're very they comfortable. But you know what they feel like through. Yeah. 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 Amanda, I, well, I said to I said to Kate, I said, I want the seats big enough so two people can be in one chair. For me, that's first class. Yeah, yeah. You can you can you know slide over, sweetheart. So you can you know so that and of course for the director the staging possibilities of an eight inch uh, armrest. You know, you can be here with your guitar, your accordion, the playlist. You know, you can have all of these things, right? Or you know, join me on my chair. Right. Uh, so we keep it in first class. So. What room will they end up in at Dick's house, by the way? Any idea where they would fit? Or they, or, I actually think Patrick has first dibs. Yeah. <laughs> gaming chair. Angel, the, uh, Any other questions? Can I just give some kudos to the cast, by the way? And I do have to say about the cast because um, of some personal issues, um, my wife, uh, who the part of Goodness Gracious was written for, was not able to be in the show. Um, Jessica Williams, who you saw tonight, is my niece by marriage, who started out as our understudy, and uh, she did an incredible job. Oh, who's Nixon, by the way? Who's under the mask? And anyone want to get controversial and talk about race or politics or? <laughs> uh -oh. I'm thinking maybe you should take this short. To, it's not too far away from Coney Island. It's kind of more. Station in the middle. I'm talking about BAM, B A M. Oh, yeah. 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 And you could do it if you get.
get um, if you get like grants, or maybe you could share, you could do like 40, 60 kind of thing, and you take it from there and advertise before before it comes up, and we could, we could, we could get it going, going from there. And then you take it down to Manhattan, to Broadway, and because this, I think this has a very good criteria for Broadway shows. If you just add a little bit of timing, because Broadway shows, how many hours? Demonstration. Yeah. And then you know you shake it. You shake it. That's that's African dance. So you bring that in when that Transatlantic, Atlantic uh, what do you call it? Virgin Airlines big Yeah, they fell up. They fell up big, and they could just shake it, shake it off, and then before the people come in. Shake it off like tips. Thank you, Terry. Thank you, Dick. Thank you, audience. See you next Tuesday. See you next Tuesday.